Yes! Dang! I'm ready to go now. Get your Bibles open. Let's do this thing. I'm telling you, I, I, you know, listen, I know for a long time, I know for a long time we have this idea, this imagery in our minds that church is this place that we come in and we're reserved and we're quiet. It's a place of reverence. And, and it is. I'm, don't get me wrong. But you know what? Once in a while, it is okay to give a shout to the Lord right? If my team scores a touchdown, if the Chiefs win the game today, I'm liable to jump up out of my chair, both fists pumping, and especially if it's like a last second touchdown. You know, like if they win, like we get up and we're like, yeah, right? Like you do that. Don't act like you don't. Maybe not for the Chiefs, but it's our only Missouri team. Let's not get started there. And so, you know, like we get excited about stuff. And listen, the Lord ought to be something we get excited about. You know what I mean? Like I get the reverence thing. Like I, there's a, there, that's appropriate at times. But you know, there are times that it's every bit as appropriate to get excited about what God's doing, right? And say amen if you're with me this morning. So you know what? Once in a while, if you want to give a shout or you want to stick your hand up in the air or you want to clap and no one else around you is clapping, start the trend. Just do it. It's okay. Like no one's going to be looking around going, don't worry about it, right? This is not about what everybody else thinks. This is about us being the Lord. And I think if there was a song that Moses could have led the people in before he, before Joshua was leading them into the promised land, it would have been that song we just sang, that unstoppable God. Let your glory go on and on. Why? We're in the book of Deuteronomy. We're in chapter six. We've been studying it for the last several weeks. We're gonna continue in that today. And here's what this is. It is Moses's last will and testament, his last words to the Israelites before they will move on with Joshua into the land that God had promised them. So this is the last time Moses is gonna talk to these people. And chapter six is basically, in a nutshell, a summary of much of the book of Deuteronomy. So he's just compacting it down and giving these, these reminders, these summaries, every few, what we have is chapters in our Bible, but every few minutes, Moses goes back and he, and he returns to the, the principle that we are to love God. And you know what? Our love for God is not an undercover love. It's not something that we just kind of keep trapped and we keep in this little pocket, you know, this little hidey hole, so to speak, and we don't let anybody else know about it. When, when I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of, my, rest of my life with Ashley, I bought her a ring so that everybody would know that she's taken, right? We, we want there to be this public display. We, get, we have marriage ceremonies. We do big weddings. We have dinners. We do all this stuff as a public profession of my undying love for my wife in my case, for your spouse in your case. We do baptisms, public displays, an outward, an outward uh, uh, symbol of what God has done inwardly. We have died in Christ, we've rose again to new life. But that's not where the public profession stops. It doesn't stop at baptism. That's not the end, that's not the end game of it all. It is that we will continue in this public, we, the, 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 the PDA, the public displays of affection that those continue on in our life. Now, the PDA between me and my wife is one thing, but what, our, what that same idea carries on, that there should be a public display of our affection for the Lord. 
And a lot of that's kind of what, what Moses is talking about here. He's saying, he's saying, listen, guys, you are not like this land that you're getting ready to go into. You don't look like them. You're not going to sound like them. You're not going to behave like them. The inside of you is going to be different than them. And that needs to be external, not just inward that I'm, I'm this undercover person infiltrating this land. But God's going to do big things and his kingdom is going to be unstoppable and his name is going to go on and on. But it's all conditional. And that's what we have to understand. It's all conditional. We have, have gone through this. He's talked about loving the Lord your God. Well, matter of fact, let's just start and we're going to read, okay? Let's start in verse 4. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That might is an intensity, that you intensely love him. And these words, verse six, that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And then he goes on, he says, and when, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you didn't build and houses full of good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve and by his name shall you swear. And you shall not go after the other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst, in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And you shall diligently keep the commands of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the land, the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an unstoppable God. And Father, our prayer this morning is echoed in the song that we sang, Lord, we desire that your glory would go on and on. Much like Moses is telling the people in Deuteronomy, Lord, that we're to, 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 to teach these statutes and laws, these commands, this, this command to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength, all our heart, soul, and might. And we're to pass that on to our children, Lord. We don't want it to die with our children, Lord. We know that, that today we are 20, 20 years away from, from barbarianism, of, of, of a generation that is totally separated from you, no knowledge of you, living completely apart from you. And so, Father, this is not a prayer for our church to just pass on to our children, but, God, that your truth would go on for generations, that it would go on and on and on. And, God, it's going to take a generation of folks to pass that stuff on to our children and, 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 and the next generation and the importance of it, God, and what you mean to us and what you've done for us and our, and, and our, and our personal uh, uh, testimony and our, our personal, uh, the, the, just that, that what you have done in us. And, Lord, we share that. And, God, we pray and we ask Lord, that you would soften hearts, that you would till the soil, that when, those, when that testimony is shared, Father, that, that it would fall on good soil, 
not just our children, but our coworkers and those that we are in line with at the grocery store and the clerks in the gas stations, but Father, that all that soil would be tilled and, and, and that, that, that when that seed is planted, that it would take root and it would fall in good soil, that it would begin to grow and bear fruit of its own, Father. Because God, we pray for generations to be impacted not just a church for a season, but God, that growing season would be year after year after year after year. That Father, when those that are young in this church come back and they're, and they're old, God, they see the, 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 the fruitful work, that they see a church still alive and, and, and thriving and growing in the gospel. Because God, that's your will and your desire. And so God, we pray today that for those of us that sit in this church this morning and, and, and in churches across our community, that God, we would just have this desire and a yearning to see souls saved and lives changed because we know the hope that comes in a relationship with Christ, Christ Jesus. We know the peace. We know the, 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 the joy. We know the satisfaction we know all these things that the world is looking for in other places and God, we have them in you. And Father, I pray if there's some here today that, that maybe they've got a relationship with you and those things are not a part of their life, that God, you would just get a hold of their hearts this morning. In our church and again, in churches across our community, Father. And Lord, you would help us to, to be the church, not only in the church, but outside the church. Lord, taking your word and your gospel and your message and sharing it with a world that needs it. Father, we thank you this morning that your word has, has come to us. We thank you, Lord, that we have heard it, that we have responded to it. And God, I pray maybe if there's some here this morning that have yet to respond to you in faith, that God, maybe today would be that day. That God, I just pray that as we, we have come here to worship this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just guide us and teach us and, and speak to us and minister to us, that it would just touch us in our, in our innermost being that, God, we would have a life and have it abundantly. And, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, for the timelessness of it, that, God, we can still read it today. And, Lord, that it is as true today as it was in the day when, when pen was put to paper. So, Father, use it this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter six, God's people getting ready to go into this promised land. We've started with, with God's love and we've, we've began with, with the goodness of God's love, the goodness of God's word. And we're getting into an area now where uh, he, he just says, listen, don't, you know, don't go chasing after these other gods. We spent that some time last week and he said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And that, that basic idea behind that putting God to the test was this idea that, that don't make God continue to prove his faithfulness over and over again. And, and the example that he gave in, in, in Massa was when, when the people were again grumbling. If you go through and read the book of Exodus, the people grumbled a lot. Like God would prove faithful, like water would come out of a rock or food would, would just mysteriously appear on the ground or quails would just live and they would float to the ground and they would die and they would pick it up and they would be able to eat it. Time and time again, God provided for his people. In this particular instance, they were thirsty, right? And they sounded like a bunch of whiny kindergartners that just came in off the recess floor and they're just, it's incessant, right? They're just, they're crying and they're whining. God just brought us out here to die. Why, we'd have been better off in Egypt and blah, 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 blah. And, and so God tells Moses, hey, go tap the rock or touch the rock or speak to the rock. Whatever he says to me, he says, I want you to go and do this to this rock and water is gonna spring forth out of this rock. 
and God, in a way only which he can, literally provides water in a dry and arid place out of a rock. And say, so don't test the Lord. He has proven himself faithful. Don't test him. And then he goes on, and this is where we're going to pick up today. He goes on in, in verse 17. He says, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. So instead of testing God, we are to trust him and diligently keep his commandments. So diligently, I I started kind of thinking about what that word meant, that it's actively or carefully or consciously or intentionally, we keep the commandments of the Lord. Now I was thinking about some examples that we could look at in the scriptures and I was playing back and forth, but I think a great example of what it means to diligently seek, you know, diligently obey God's commandments, we find in the example of Cain and Abel. Now, if you remember back in the, in the book of Genesis, there was Adam and Eve. God says, uh, be fruitful and multiply. They have kids, and Cain and Abel are two of their sons. And, and if you remember, uh, there, even early on then, that there was this idea of offering that you gave back to the Lord. So, this isn't a, so giving as a whole is not a New Testament thing. It's not a new church thing. From the very beginning, you see this idea, and I mean literally the very beginning, you have this idea that we give back to God a portion of what God has given to us. And so God tells Cain and Abel and, and that family, you know, we're to have these, this, this, these offerings. And so we find that, that Abel brings an offering that is pleasing to the Lord. And, and his offering was like fruits and vegetables. Maybe Abel was the farmer of the group. He, he was the agriculturalist and, and he, had, he tended to the, the farms and the fields. And he brings an offering that's, that's good to the Lord, but Cain doesn't. Cain, Cain goes out into his, into his flocks. Maybe he was the rancher and he goes on his flocks and he's like, ah, this one's good enough. And he brings it in and God was not pleased with his offering. And that's this idea of diligently obeying the Lord. Now listen, it's not about checking the box. This is not at all what this is about. This is about trusting the Lord wholeheartedly and saying, you know what, Lord, I believe that you want what's best for me, so I'm gonna do your word knowing that that's gonna lead to this abundant life, this good life that, 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 that we believe. And that this is not prosperity. This is scripture, that God wants us to have life and have it abundantly. But abundant life does not come by my own set of rules. It's not like, well, God, I really like this part of John, but I don't like the rest of it. Or I like this verse in Romans, but I don't like the rest of it. It comes on God's, on, in, in God's way. And so that's the condition of all this promise. These promises we're getting ready to see are conditional based on their diligence to obey the word of God. Now, let me go on and just say this about Cain and Abel. One diligently sought the Lord. One flippantly sought the Lord. So you have one that brought his first and best and you had the other one that just brought some. And there's a a truth there for us. When we diligently seek the Lord, God deserves our first and our best. He doesn't deserve our leftovers. He doesn't deserve whatever we've got left at the end of the week, whether it's energy or time or, or finances. It's not what we have left. We give God the first, we give God the best, and then we, and we, and we trust him with, with everything else. And if you'll do that, watch as God begins to bless and honor your time and your resources and, 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 and your efforts and your energies as we give to him first. So he says, diligently with your, and I would extrapolate out, intentionally, purposefully, uh, keep the commandments of the Lord. Keep them. 
and obey them and, and do what he has to say. And so he says, and, and that's what he tells us. Uh, he says that you would keep his, his, his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. Look at verse 18. And he says, you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. So again, there's this idea of, of the diligence and obedience and doing what is right and good in whose eyes? In God's eyes, right? Not what I think is right and good. Not what my neighbor thinks is right and good. Not what, not what the news is telling me is right and good or what they want me to believe is right and good, but what God says is right and good. Now, let's, let's take this a step further. How do we discover what God says is right and good? Say that again. It's in the book. But how do we know if we don't read the book? And so this, again, this intentionality of saying, I need to set a time, I need to set time aside every day to get in the word. I need to know about who God is and what God is like. I need to know who I am and what I'm like and what the Bible says about me. I need to know what the Bible says on how I'm supposed to believe and not believe. Why? Because how I, what I believe impacts the way that I live. And so not only do I need to understand what I need to believe and what I don't need to believe, but I also need to understand how I'm to live and how I'm not supposed to live. Because Peter tells us that we are a peculiar people, that we have been sanctified as believers. We've been sanctified. We've been separated. We've been set apart, that we don't look like everybody else. We don't act like everybody else because we do what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord. But, but not only that, but listen to what, and let, let me, well, let me say this first. It's not just outwardly doing what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord. Because I can do things outwardly and check a box, but inwardly, I've got completely the wrong attitude. In Matthew, I think it's chapter 23, he says, he gives the, the woes of the, the, the Pharisees. And he says, you are like a whitewashed tomb. You look really good on the outside, but inside you're just full of death. There's nothing there. You are dead inside. You're like a cup that has been washed on the outside, but the inside has never been cleaned. Now, if you do dishes like that at your house, I'm not eating there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to drink out of a cup that the outside's been cleaned, but the inside looks like there's been weak old coffee and creamer sitting in there and molds coming up out of that, right? Good. You've done that at your house, in a coffee cup somewhere and forgot about it, and then you just throw it in the trash. But that is this mentality. But not only that, but you want to talk about this inside being as important as the outside. What does Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you've heard it said, and what he meant by that is it has been taught that you shall not commit adultery. You've been taught by the rabbis, the law, the Pharisees, all these guys teach you not to commit adultery. It's part of the Ten Commandments. But he says, I'm telling you that if you lust in your heart, you have committed the same thing. So it's not just on the outside. Well, I've never committed adultery. Well, you may not in the flesh, but have you in your heart? And that's what Jesus is asking them. He's saying, you know, you're talking about all these checking the boxes, guys, and, and making sure you're not doing this stuff. But you may be acting graceful on the outside, but if you're cursing them on the inside, like there's something wrong there. You, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but if you hate somebody, 
So you can walk into church and hug somebody and be like, man, I love you, JP. I'm so glad that you're here. And inside, I'm like, that is a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I wish he'd find somewhere else to go. Now tell me, if I've done this on the outside, it looks good, but what's on the inside still broke. And God's not in the business of saying it. We've said this before, and I'll say it again. You come to church and you follow all the rules, you can still be empty inside and not have a relationship with Jesus. You can still be as lost as the day that you came in here. Because Jesus isn't about checking a box. He's about changing a heart. And he knows if he can change the heart, the outside stuff's going to come. And some of us maybe have been working really hard on changing the outside stuff without ever trying to change what's going on in here, and it'll never work. We have got to change what's going on in here. And how does this change? It changes by by us gathering here, yes. But if this is all the sustenance spiritually I'm getting is on a Sunday morning, man, I'm starving to death spiritually, and I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to have enough. We've got to open it. We've got to open the word when we're at home and when we're hanging out. If we'll do what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord. Look what happens. This is conditional. I want you to understand this. This is not prosperity. This is what God says. You do this, then I do this. Look what he says. It, 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 that it may go well with you. This is about the third or fourth time in this chapter we've heard this idea of it going well with you. Now listen, I don't know a person alive that says, you know what? I love living in turmoil. I love drama. I love it. Woo! What do you hear? Oh my gosh, these guys are just drama, 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 drama. Like you just don't want, and listen, don't bring your drama to my house because I'm going to tell you, see ya. I got enough in my own house. I don't need none of yours, right? Sometimes that's exactly what needs to be said. You don't give them, hey, you don't give a person an ear, guess what? They'll find someone else to go talk to. But here's the deal. We want things to go well and good. If you want things to go well and good, you do things God's way, and that's the only way. And I'm telling you, the closer you adhere to what God tells us to do, the better your life is going to be. I'm not saying the easier your life is going to be. I'm not going to say it's not going to be without its, its obstacles and its, and, its, and its roadblocks and different things going on. But I am going to say you are going to feel better about the life you are living and the life that you have if you'll follow God's commands. Amen. If I will love him, it'll help me love other people. If I will love him, it'll help me love my wife better. I'm not looking at her going, well, she'd just do this. This all be, I'd be much happier. Well, if your happiness is based on what your wife is doing or not doing, you have some problems that, that are spiritual in nature, not just what your wife's doing. But you know what? Maybe if I ask God to start changing my heart, maybe I start looking at my wife a little bit different way. Maybe I start loving her for the person God has created her to be and the, and the, and the creature God has, has created her to be. And I said, you know, I'm just going to love this woman. And you know what? She may, she may start responding differently to you because maybe she's tired of he just, or he, maybe just tired of hearing you nag about what he does or doesn't do. Maybe he just wants you, maybe they, she, she, whatever you're, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> don't, don't read too deep into that. Don't read too, but what I'm saying is, if I'm loving my wife, right, 
her response to me is going to be completely different than if I'm just like, damn, I wish you'd do this. I wish you'd do that. Why don't you get out of bed? Why don't you do It's going to be a lot different if I just love on her, right? But you know what? Sometimes that, sometimes if we've got a lot of baggage, a lot of things that we've let come up in our marriage, like that's tough and we need someone to do something in here and we can't do that. We need God to do that. It says, if you'll do what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord, it will go well with you. Now, we have the opportunity to hindsight in the scriptures. We go and we look and we see, surprise, surprise, when Israel stops doing what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord, guess what? Life gets really difficult and really terrible. I can think of some other words, but it gets bad, right? Life is not good for them. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. They think when they begin doing these things, they think, oh man, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. This is really what my heart wants to do. Like this God is so much better than this God or whatever. And then we start doing what we want to do. And man, they wind up in heaps of trouble to the point that they go back to the God that they forgot about in the beginning and they are crying out to him, asking for him to rescue them because they are so stuck that they cannot rescue themselves. They cannot drag themselves out of the muck that they find themselves in. And they have to go back to the Lord. And you know what? God is gracious to them and God is merciful towards them. And he brings them right back out. After the, and they were punished. That's what the trouble they found themselves in, the punishment. God brings them right back out. And you know what? They start worshiping again. But again, going back to what he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. That's exactly what God's people do. Things get good for a season of life and they begin to forget about him and they begin to fall back into some of these old things that they used to do that they were praying so fervently for God to rescue them out of. And if we're not careful, that same type of stuff begins to happen in our own lives. And then we begin to test God. This is where this testing thing, we begin to test him. We say, well, God, if you were who you say you are, why am I continuing to do this? And God's saying, because you're not changing your decision making. You wanna know why we're in the trouble we're in or why you keep getting in the trouble that you're in? Because you keep making the same decisions over and over and over again. And I bring you out and I restore you, and we, you worship me for a season, and then you go back to making those same decisions over and over and over again. And we, like the Israelites, get in this cyclical habit, and there's never any real lasting peace, there's never any real lasting joy, there's never any real lasting satisfaction because we're not doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. We're taking a, a little bit from, from God's table and we're saying, I really like these bits and pieces. I love that God is love and I love that he's forgiving, but boy, I really enjoy doing some of this stuff on like the, the sin table. And I'm just gonna take a little bit of this and put that right here. And I'm gonna take a little bit of this. And I'm gonna put that right there. And, and boy, I wanna, I'm, matter of fact, let me just grab a whole bunch of this and we'll just shove all this down my back pocket. But God, I still, I still want the forgiveness and I still want the love and I still want the mercy, but I don't want any of the obedience. And folks, it just, it just simply doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. It, listen, it doesn't work in the lives of your children when you act like that as parents. Oh, kid, you want to scream and fight? Well, let me just give in to whatever you want just so you'll shut up. And don't, I think you think the same thing, right? Like we just give in. 
You want to disobey, and but listen, are there not consequences? I give you an example. You know, when you got when you're when you're the the son and daughter of a preacher, you're going to make your way into some sermons once in a while. The other day, my kids, we have this front room that's supposed to be a formal dining room, and we're not really all that formal, so it's the kids' playroom. And so we told the kids it was a disaster area. I mean, they looked like they were just pulling stuff off the shelves, and. We, t- we told the kids over and over again, you need to get that room. You need to get that picked up. You need to get that picked up. Well, they wanted to watch a movie and said, you pick up that first, we'll take baths, and then it'll be movie time. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. I, I sounded like a broken record. You know how it is, parents. I'm threatening them. There. I'm threatening their lives, right? <laughs> Go pick this up. I said, I'm telling you, you guys want to watch a movie, and if this isn't picked up, there ain't going to be no movie. Well, guess what? They farted around long enough that they didn't get to watch the movie. And you'd have thought like I shot the dog, right? I mean, they're just heartbroken that this does not get to happen. I'm going, and I told them, of course, Eric, you can't really reason with. Aniston, you can reason with her. I said, babe, listen, I told you if A doesn't get done, B's not gonna happen. Now listen, if our human minds operate like that, where do you think that came from? You think maybe that's not how we are fearfully and wonderfully made? that the law of God is not written on our hearts, that he says, listen, son, daughter, if you don't do A, then B's not gonna happen. And let me, sh- well, I'm gonna get to there. Let's, let's keep reading here. That it may go well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land the Lord swore to give your fathers. Let me tell you what my belief is. There may not be a physical land, and if you've been with us over the course of this series, you've heard me say this before, there may not be a land, a physical place that God wants you, you know, like the promised land, like God's given his people in, in, in Deuteronomy and in, in Exodus and Joshua. But I believe there is very much a promised land in the, on this earth that God wants us to be at spiritually. A place that is spiritually flowing with milk and honey that it's a place of blessing, that it's a place of joy, of not wandering, of not worrying, but of just God's presence and God's provision and, 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 and just the, the reality of, of God in our lives each and every day. But again, it's this condition thing. I want you to be right here. If you're right here, things are gonna be right here, right? Inside, outside, when inside and outside, I'm working toward that, that place that God wants me to be spiritually, desires for me to be spiritually, created me to be spiritually. That may be, in, 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 and that's, man, that can cover, we could preach a sermon just on the, the, the spiritual promised land for his people. But that's discovering kind of our purposes, that's discovering our gifts and our talents and how we use them for the kingdom of God. Like there's a place God wants us to be and, and, and we're like, and, and for a lot of Christians today, not just here and, and elsewhere, like we're wandering around the wilderness. We're wandering around the wilderness and we don't have a direction. We don't have an aim. We don't know what God has put us on this earth to do or the things that God has put us on this earth to do. We're just wandering around wondering where the, sad, where the fulfillment is. Why am I still, I've got this, but why is there still an emptiness? And it's because we're filling that space with all these other things that we think are gonna bring something to our lives that we're missing. And what we really need is for God to just open up our eyes to discover the stuff that he wants us to do. 
And it may be the stuff he wants us to do inside of our current profession. I'm not talking about packing your bags and, and, and going to Ethiopia and being a missionary. I believe you're here because God called you to be here. And God has a purpose for you right here in this town, in your place of employment, in your retirement, in your teaching, in your plumbing, in your whatever it is you do, that there's a ministry here and discovering what that is. So he says, I want you to understand, do what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord. Have it right here, have it right here in the actions And I'm going to lead you to the place where you're going to feel like the puzzle pieces have all dropped into place. And man, God is amazing and he's great and he's doing all these things in my life. And he says, and and he says, and then look what he continues to say, by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised you. You see, there's a responsibility here on our part, the diligence, the intentionality to push the enemies and thrust the enemies out of our lives not welcome them, not give them a room to stay in in our house, but thrust those things out. When we discover the things in God's word that he says to do or not to do, if he says to do these things, we do them. If he says to not do these things, they are our enemies and we don't do those things. We don't find some cute way to justify why we're doing them, right? And I know, man, this is tough stuff because I'm, I'm dealing with this in my own life. Like, these are not things that I'm like, well, let's just preach down to him. This is, I understand this. But we have to thrust those enemies out. You pack their bags and you kick them to the curb and you say, you are not welcome here anymore. We don't entertain that stuff. We guard what we're allowing to come into our eyes. We guard what we allow coming into our minds. We love the we we guard our hearts and we and we and we put a hedge of protection, so to speak, around those that we are allowing to influence us. And you know what? For some of us, thrusting enemies out may be a person that we spend a lot of time with. Maybe someone we've been friends with for a long time, but over the years, their advice just keeps getting worse and worse. And I find myself listening to it far more often than I should. And we just made to say, God, help me. And this may be the whole premise today. God, help me to identify the enemies I have in my life and give me the courage and the strength to thrust them out the way that you want me to. And you know what? Some of you, your enemies aren't things you shouldn't be doing, but you are doing. Some of them are things you have done and you can't get over. You can't forgive yourself. Or there's been some things happen in life and you think to yourself, boy, if I would have handled things a little bit differently, maybe all this would have worked out in a different way. And and listen, folks, we are our own worst critic and some of you need to quit beating yourselves up. It's just, it's that plain and simple. Rest in the grace of God. Some of you, your enemy is a lack of forgiveness. Forgive whoever it is that has hurt you in your past because the only one trapped by your lack of forgiveness is you. That's it. There's nobody else. They're not trapped by you not forgiving them. They probably don't even care. They may not even know and they don't even care. And so who's the one fretting over this this other person that's hurt you or harmed you in the past? It's you. And we're going, why can I not have peace? Why is there this constant friction in my life? Because we just won't 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. So be free indeed. Be free. Bask in that freedom. Say, God, I'm gonna forgive who you want me to forgive. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love my spouse better than I ever have before. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna give, I'm gonna thrust these enemies out. I know there are things that I'm doing that you don't want me to do. And God, I know equally there are things that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing. And so God, give me the courage to know and to act and to be who you want me to be. And I'm telling you, if God's presence doesn't begin pouring out of heaven, you're going to be like uh, David in, 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 in the 23rd Psalm. My cup is overflowing. And guess what happens? When my cup overflows, guess what I get to come and do? I get to start pouring into other people, right? Because my cup is overflowing. I'm not emptying out out of an empty cup or a half-empty cup. I can't come over here and say, oh, you only get a drop because I need some more for me. I'm walking through, man. I'm pouring in the lives of other people. And guess what that's called? That's called ministry. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You can walk into church and see someone whose demeanor is just not what it ought to be. And you say, hey, is everything okay? And they're like, yeah, I'm fine. And you're like, no, it's not. Let's pray. And you find a quiet corner. You go in the, the prayer room, a.k.a. the war room, and you go to battle for that person. Like, that's ministry. And we do that out of a cup that is running over. But most of us, we're not coming into a church with a cup running over. We're coming in just dragging, man. We're crawling in here because we don't have the juices to do anything. We have poured ourselves into our careers. We have poured ourselves into our family. We don't have anything left to give. And we're dragging in here on Sunday morning. We got to fill ourselves up. And we do that by diligently obeying the Lord. We do it by thrusting out our enemies. We do that by doing what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord. We give him our first and our best and then watch as God blesses and fills that cup up. When we feel like we have emptied ourselves out in ministry, God fills that cup up in the way that only he can. And man, we're just still going. We're still pouring out. Why? That cup's still full. But you can't fill that cup up. Your career can't fill that cup up. The perfect house that you're never gonna have will not fill that cup up. Only Christ will. Amen. We'll talk more about it next week. But there's a phrase as he's drawn to a close this, what we have as a chapter in our Bibles. There's a phrase that says something like this. He brought us out of Egypt. He brought us out of slavery that he may bring us in. I want you to understand something. All these things that we're talking about, you know, God calling us to do this and God wanting us to do that. God telling us to stay away from these things. Listen, he's bringing us out of slavery and he's just bringing us into something greater. And if we're not careful, we begin looking at all this stuff and we go, why, why when I'm living in comfort here or whatever leave? You know what? The Israelites were, com were, were somewhat comfortable. They had homes and food, but they were still slaves. They were still slaves. God wants to bring you out so that he can bring you in. Bring you out of slavery and lead you into the promised land. But you know what? We don't have a leader that, that has, has come in and, and we don't have well, a Moses, so to speak. We're not, we're, maybe the plagues aren't gonna happen to a person like Pharaoh. 
but our leader is Christ. And he is calling us out to bring us in. He's calling us out of slavery to bring us into freedom, calling us out of, out of darkness to bring us into his marvelous light. And the question is, will you follow him? Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning.